Hey everybody, this is Jared Hollier. That is Rusty Mott. Hey everyone. We're starting things a little different on this episode for a pretty serious reason. We know that a lot of our listeners are close personal friends. We know that a lot of you live right here in the Southeast Texas area. And there was a pretty severe tragedy in our area. We won't go into the details here because we don't want to exclude anyone that might be listening outside of our area. But we wanted to take a few minutes right at the top of this episode to talk about just tragedy in general. The reality is we live and serve and minister in a broken world that's, there's always gonna be tragedy. There's always gonna be another terrorist attack. There's always gonna be another life loss. There's always gonna be another just terrible thing happening. And you hate to admit the reality of that, but that's the world that we live in. And so right off the top here for a few minutes, we want to talk about the importance of church leaders addressing those things in an appropriate way, making the most of those opportunities to spread some light of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus in those moments and just talk briefly, I guess, Rusty, about why it's important and then maybe even how do we do that? How do we delicately address those situations? We don't want to seem tone deaf and that's the danger of not addressing these issues when they come up in our churches and communities is we don't want to look like tone deaf leaders. I think there's the risk of losing some credibility, but also missing out on opportunities when we just ignore these things. But we want to do it in a way that's appropriate and delicate. So any thoughts on how to do that? Well, I think the biggest thing that we can be as ministers and churches in the midst of these situations is to, number one, just be there. Uh, the, the old classic ministry of presence. I saw somebody put on social media, and this wasn't even in our area, so it was unrelated to some of the things that we're discussing today. But it's interesting to note that in the Gospel of John, where Jesus shows up to the tomb and Lazarus has died, that his first response is not to immediately go into a theological discourse, uh, but he weeps, yeah. he grieves with them, he mourns with them. Of course, he then goes on to offer the most important theological truth of all, that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. Yeah. But, but he doesn't just show up and say, hey, let's unpack what's happening here <laughs> right. theologically, but he is just there, he grieves with them. So, it's and that's important a pretty for churches to just be there. Well-known ministry fact is that people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember that you were there yeah. in those times of tragedy. No doubt. So like you said, just the ministry of presence is important. So it's been neat for us to see friends and fellow brothers and sisters in ministry, sister churches in our area who have rallied around to support their community and who have been there. And that is a huge, huge thing. But not only being there, but there is a time, especially in a culture where tragedy is not just localized, but we have even things this past week in Manchester, the yeah. terrorist attack there. You have things that on a global scale can really just uh, affect people on a broad spectrum. So addressing those kind of things is important. And I think we as pastors do well to acknowledge what's happening in our culture and speak truth into those situations and it's not always easy to do. It can be difficult for us to engage those topics because it is uncomfortable. It does bring, in a weird sense, brings us down to even talk about some of those things. There's a tendency in America to just run over tragedy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To just think about our, our funeral process, especially in the Anglo culture. When someone dies, like we have them in the ground a couple of days later and we're eating some potato salad at the church and going back to life the next 72 day. 72 hours and it's over. And it's done. Yeah. And, and that's just something we tend to do. And I think even in tragedy, 
there's a sense of let's just get past this and keep going forward right. and not slow down. You know, was it the Reliant K album was called Forget and Not Slow Down? Yeah. I think he was talking about jacked up relationships, but I think we do that with real tragedies and real things that break our hearts and that upset our communities, we tend to just say, hey, let's get past this, where sometimes we would do well to acknowledge what's going on and offer a biblical perspective on that. Yeah, Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And so it should be important for us to take time to mourn and grieve those situations. Two points I'll make as we kind of end this and get into the rest of the topics that we have for today. Church leaders, you need to be prepared for these tragedies. I think it's important for us to have something biblical to speak into these situations before they sneak up on us. If you're not prepared to talk about these things, spend some time preparing. You know, it's better to be ready before the tragedy happens than try to scramble to throw something together, throw something wise together in the moment. If you're not prepared, at least know how to get prepared. Be a student of the word enough that you know how to get something ready to pray with people, to say to people, but be prepared. And the second thing I'll say is one of the wisest statements I've ever heard about preaching is it was probably Andy Stanley. He's my go-to guy for quotes like this. He said, one of the biggest mistakes we as preachers and teachers can make is number one, to waste your time answering questions that nobody is asking or two, don't answer the questions that everyone is asking. And so if there's a terrorist attack on Saturday and pastor, you stand up on Sunday morning and say, hey, we're back in Luke 19. And you just pretend like it never happened. It just, everybody is there asking the same questions that morning. So make the most of those opportunities and be ready and prepared to speak some gospel truth into those tragic situations. Brothers and sisters in our area who know about the, the local thing we're talking about, it, we've been praying for you and we're praying with you. And, um, and our job is to keep on holding up Jesus and pointing people toward him. So let's keep on doing that no matter what the circumstances are. And we would be remiss if we didn't just say to our brothers and sisters listening, whether we know you or not, whether you are a vocational minister or just a lay leader in your church serving in ministry, ministry can be difficult, life can be tough. There are real struggles that go on in life, but we just want you to know you're never alone and we, you need someone to talk to. And if you don't have anyone to talk to, uh, we offer ourselves to you. Don't ever hesitate to call if you need someone to uh, share with. And uh, just remember, Jesus obviously is always there, but we as your brother and sister Christ are there with you, so you're never alone. All right, start the music. Hey, everybody, this is Jared Hollier. That is Rusty Mott. Good day. And this is one hour a week, a 30-minute ministry podcast, episode 12. We know that we've already introduced ourselves once, but we'll do it again for the official start of this. Baker's Dozen. Official topic. No. Wait, that's just a re- regular dozen. It's just a regular dozen. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a plain dozen, which by the way, reminds me this week's episode is brought to you by Shipley's Donuts. Donuts. Not really, but it could be. Hey. Give us a call, Shipley's or Donut Palace. Let's start a bidding war of donuts with us. That would be my dream come true. Vider, Texas has more donut shops per capita than any city in Southeast Texas. I'd be willing to put my next check on On that. On Highway 69, going towards Coons in the Lumberton area, they're building a new little um, strip mall thing there. And in that, they have a sign out that says, Donuts coming soon. 
and one of my buddies were driving by the other day said, so is that whole thing going to be donuts? <laughs> just the whole place. Like, Man, I really hope so. Like, I hope it's just like a mall of donuts. Like, you can have a Shipley's, a Donut Palace. Dunkin'. Let's put a Dunkin' and a Krispy Kreme. You can just go in and get any kind of donut you want on any given day. They built a new one up in North Vodder, and they put the sign up on the front of the stucco wall. It said, Donuts Palace. Well, then they took that down and put up a different sign, but you can still see the outline of Donuts (laughs) Palace. So. So good. Get your act together, Donuts Palace. Uh, Episode 12, the title that we came up with for today's topic is Fireworks versus Embers. And what we mean by that is very often in ministry and in church settings especially, sometimes we can feel the pressure to drive our ministries and drive our work by continually doing big events. This Sunday at Pecan Acres Baptist (laughs) Church. Sorry. You didn't know what it was. Just that type of idea. So we think Rusty and I agree and we disagree to an extent. we'll, We'll get into all of this, but we want to just talk about the big events versus the slow and steady growth. There's an appropriate place and a right way to use big events in your church, but there can also be some unhealthy things that we do. And I lean probably too far to the other end of the spectrum where I think everything should be small and slow and steady. Uh, But some people go too far the other direction and everything has to be a big event, big lights, big giveaways, big name, or everything is too big. And so we just wanna talk a little today about finding the balance between the slow and steady growth and the big events, or like I said, the fireworks versus the embers. And we can talk about that in terms of ministry, but also personally in our spiritual life, what that looks like. And we'll we'll start here. I don't mind opening this wound. (laughs) Jared wounded me deeply the other day by observing something that is true. So, you know, the Bible says wounds of a friend. That's right. And we were eating Chinese food in Kirbyville with... Begno! Daniel Begno. Daniel, you get more shout outs than anybody, but it's also because like two weeks ago at 7.30, he's like, hey, is the podcast up yet? Yeah. My man. So You were saying Chinese yeah, food. Yeah, back to Chinese food with Daniel Begno. So we're talking and I don't even remember what we were talking about, but you said, Rusty, you kind of have an extreme personality anyways. You tend to be all in on something or all out of something. I think and we were I, talking about your wardrobe because there was a couple of weeks we were where you dressed super nice and you were like, and I agree, you were like, it makes me feel more professional. I put on my work clothes and I go to work. And for about three weeks, you were slacks, yeah. button down shirt every day. And today day. I'm wearing a Speedo and a tank top. <laughs> <laughs> At Jared's church. The rest of the people here are very confused. Follow but. Rusty on Instagram. <laughs> That's... <laughs> So, <laughs> ladies, speedo selfie. Uh, <laughs> so yes, extreme personality. So yeah, I tend to be all in, and this is the context of the conversation we were talking about TV. Like I tend to go where, like, hey, you know what? I'm watching everything with the lens through the lens of the gospel. So I'm watching all these shows, and I'm not feeling convicted about it. And then I will just go to the other extreme and be like, Andy Griffith is the only thing That's playing it. in this place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we're just going to read our Bibles all night and watch one episode of Andy Griffith as a family while we're eating, you know, broccoli sticks. Matzah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I, sorry. So the, I tend to have that kind of personality. So I find myself on both ends of the spectrum regularly where uh, I'm trying to push, especially as a pastor, trying to get the ever elusive momentum for our church family. Right. So I do find myself probably being guilty of what we're going to 
talk about a little bit. And that's the danger of constantly trying to, this is the biggest and greatest thing now. This is what we're doing. This is the huge thing. And there's a certain aspect of that when you are leading an organization that you have to have. But I definitely kind of have that entrepreneurial mindset that we've talked about. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's our word, by the way, entrepreneurial. It's your sometimes word. I, I run over it. it. Sometimes, like that time was a little iffy. Like I kind of, do you hear me tap the brakes as I got a to it? A little bit, yeah. Sometimes I'm a little bit entrepreneurial. I said it before, it's like a speed bump in the middle of your sentence. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, I am. I do have that mindset. So sometimes I'm trying to push uh, things and make them more awesome than they actually are. Like it's a gathering of, we're gonna get together and open up the Bible, but I can make it sound like this is going to be the biggest life-changing event of your life. And then you get there and I'm like, okay, well, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 19. Well, you said before that church is more of a family than an organization. And I think that's a good, healthy way to, to think about it because in your family, you do have big events. We get together at Thanksgiving and we get together at Christmas, but 350 days a year, we just sit around the table with our kids and some nights we eat cereal and some nights we cook, but it's just the slow and steady bond that we're being built. And I think that's a healthy way to look at church. There's a place for big events and big outreach. You know, a lot of churches do fall fest or Bible school or a new year's event. And that's fine and that's healthy. My problem is when you promote every get together as a big, like you said, world changing, life changing, earth shattering event. And I don't want to downplay God's ability to do big things every week. What I want to downplay and diffuse is the pressure or the mindset that every Sunday morning has to be over the top, outrageous. And that can go a couple of different ways. I've seen people who every Sunday morning, they give away stuff or they do something over the top. Every Sunday morning, they have a motorcycle on the stage and a guy's going to jump through a ring of fire. Or they do it spiritually too, where every time they gather, they promote it as the heavens are gonna part, fire is gonna fall, just get ready to have your spiritual socks blown off. And I think that's dangerous too, because then the expectation is, if I don't feel something amazing, miraculous, incredible, over if this is not a nine or 10 out of 10, then God didn't do anything. I feel that pressure sometimes, even just preaching on a normal basis. Like I, I look forward to when we're out of holiday seasons and we're into a normal season. Right. But even in those normal seasons, I feel an immense pressure when it's time to, I get done with the sermon and by the time I'm done with lunch, I'm thinking about the next week's sermon. And that's when I'm not like, next Sunday, it's gonna be the most amazing sermon. You, even when I'm like, hey guys, we're gonna be in the next section here in John chapter whatever. Right. I still feel that pressure. So you are just adding to a pressure that already exists and that's very difficult pace to set for yourself in ministry. And a lot of this has to do with our personalities too because you and I, you admitted that you oscillate between the two extremes. I'm for the most part pretty emotionally flat. I have people in my life who have told me that as a detriment that I'm I'm just not a real emotional person. I took a personality test. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that uh, was a true statement. And so even at camp, I'm going to preach three camps this summer. And even at camp, the expectation is that camp is supposed to be an emotional experience, right? A mountaintop high, turn down the lights, turn on the fog machine, play the music slowly until somebody gives their heart to Jesus. Mm. I avoid all of that. I'm so skeptical of the emotional manipulation that probably honestly it is to my detriment that I'm almost anti-emotional, which is dangerous because Jesus said true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. There is 
a balance between head and heart there. So what I'm saying is it's probably a lot to do with our personalities too, that we're kind of averse and hesitant of the big events all the time. And one of the dangers for us is that we can find ourselves not working for the normal, slow and steady, what really is the ordinary means of grace that God has provided for his church. And instead of relying on Jesus, we rely on our creativity and our own ingenuity. Our resources. Our, yes, our own entrepreneurial skills. Twice now. Yeah, I'm Look trying to nail it. We, we work really hard on what we can do. And at the end of the day, the scary thing to me is using our illustration of fireworks and embers. We can almost fake fireworks. Mm -hmm. They can be man-made productions that almost quote, look like God's spirit at work, but you can't fake the embers. Yeah. You can't fake the slow and steady. It, it is something that has to be real and genuine. But I think we live in a culture that recognizes the fireworks and doesn't recognize the embers. And because of that, a lot of our churches are just constantly shooting up fireworks. And social media, we've had this conversation, but the highlight reel, man, if, if you look at Cornerstone's social media presence and my social media and go to Cornerstone's websites, you think, my goodness, that is an innovative, happening, cool place. <laughs> but guess what? Come hang out with us for a couple yeah. weeks and you'll be like, these guys. And again, I love my church and I'm blessed by my church, but it's easier to make it look awesome than it is to consistently be following Jesus and letting him slowly change us as a church. Yeah, we need to embrace the ordinary because that's where we spend most of our time. And I think that's okay. Again, we're not saying don't have events. We're just saying temper the pressure and temper the desire to have big events and embrace the ordinary. Be willing to stoke the embers more than you shoot off the fireworks. And this does go personally too. Yeah. When we talk about things like camps and disciple nows or revivals, if you get in your mindset because of the church culture that God only moves in big, extreme ways, then what does that do to your personal growth, to your personal discipleship? That if, you know, that means Monday through Saturday, if I don't feel something incredible when I have my quiet time, does that mean the Holy Spirit's not working in my life? And we do a disservice to our church and the lay people in our churches. And again, we have many listeners who are not vocational ministers, but minister actively in their churches. If we're not careful, we diminish the ordinary life mm -hmm. that God has called many people to. And we live in a culture that celebrates the radical. Again, I'm not anti-David Platt and his book, Radical. I don't think anybody I'm, is. Yeah, it's a fantastic read. And I think we do need to run everything in our life through the lens of the gospel. And you need to be the best teacher you can be, the best mechanic you can be, and leverage every resource God has given you to make a difference for Christ. That is a radical way to live. And I think that's what David Platt would say is the idea of that book. But there is a sense that you read radical and you think, well, crud, I guess I need to sell everything in my house and move to Africa. Which by the way, did you see the Babylon Bee article this week? Of no. Francis it showed Francis Chan like kneeling on a sidewalk and the title of the article was, Francis Chan has run out of things to give away. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of find yourself thinking, well, I am not measuring up because I'm doing that. But I want to just encourage everybody listening and encourage myself that there is a very blessed thing that is happening when we are living for Jesus right in the middle of our ordinary lives. Yeah. And you may not feel like you're doing anything extraordinary, but God blesses and works in the ordinary every single day. Well, the radical life is just not living like the world. The easy thing to do 
And the normal thing to do is to not follow Jesus. And so yeah. just being a day-to-day follower of Christ is a radical thing to do in our culture. No it doubt. might not feel like it in our area because we, Southeast Texas is the buckle of the Bible belt and there's nominal Christianity and cultural Christianity all around us. But that is a radical lifestyle, just living day-to-day with the idea of how do I please Jesus today? You're heading the right way with yeah. that. There's a, a book that is interesting that I, I read a few years back. It's called ordinary and the subtitle is sustainable faith in a radical restless world and it's by a guy named michael horton and i want to offer a quote from him that was interesting and helpful for me is he says this sometimes chasing your dreams can be quote easier than just being who we are where god has placed you with the gifts he has given you and there is this idea in our culture and this is back to rusty so i'm done with that quote but there's this idea in our culture that my goodness uh why have you settled for this? Why yeah. have you settled for this ordinary plain life? But my goodness, God has called moms to be moms. God has called small church pastors to be small church pastors. God has called you to serve right where you are at. And listen, he may call you to sell everything and move to Africa. Right. And if he does, you better listen. But in this ordinary life he has called you, you can live in a radical way for him. So in some ways, that is a call not to settle for living in a radical way, what the culture perceives as radical and different, but instead to live for Jesus right where you are, where he's called you and follow him today and trust that if you're following him today, he's gonna lead you tomorrow. So I think what we both are saying is that mountaintop experiences, fireworks, those things are fine as long as they're not necessary. When your personal devotional life or when your church ministry life depends on the success of big events and big mountaintop moments, and you're just trying to live from peak to peak to peak, you're gonna wear yourself out. And honestly, you're making an idol of the experience. And instead of just following Jesus day to day through the streets of these small towns, you're trying to live on the mountaintop. And and that's just, un, I think that's unfaithful and dangerous. Yeah, no doubt. I wanted to share with you something from social media that I literally saw this morning. Jared and I have been talking about this for a week now, what we were going to share today and what we were going to talk about on the podcast. Yeah, that's right. We prepare. Believe yeah. it or not, this is prepared. <laughs> this is prepared. So imagine if we were winging it. So <laughs> our friend Cody Hogden, which I, I consider Cody a friend. I've only met him once, but we su- we're friends on Facebook. So that counts. Well, in that case, I'm friends with yeah. Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. I met oh, them once. my man. So um, anyways, Cody is the pastor at First Baptist Church in Orangefield, doing a great ministry there and uh, know of his work there and have heard him preach. But uh, Cody shared something on Facebook that I just thought, man, it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about. I'm not gonna read it all. If you don't follow Cody Hogden, go look him up on Facebook and add him and you can read this in its entirety. But he talked about the concept of us bringing the wood and God brings the fire. And he compared it to the study of Mount Carmel. And he says this, I'm gonna quote, Uh, from his post. As I was studying about hope and these two ingredients, and those two ingredients he referred to are the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, he says this, I was reminded of the Mount Carmel showdown, Elijah versus the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. You read all about it there in 1 Kings 18. So Elijah repaired the altar. He got the things of God in its rightful place. Elijah brought the wood and the offering. Elijah prayed for fire and God poured out fire from the sky. Here's the thought. When the fire came from the sky, the Holy Spirit moving, there was wood to burn, scriptures, God's word. So in your personal life, thank you for that, Cody. Wonderful thoughts. And again, I encourage you to add him and read that entire post. 
But here's the thing. Do we have the embers going? Do we have the wood in place? His God in his rightful place. Have we brought ourselves and our lives to his word and submitted to his word? Are we living in such a way on a day-to-day basis that we are ready to experience God at any moment? Lord, let your fire fall down at any moment that you want it to happen. We're ready for it. And we know you can, but even if you don't, we still know that you're here and we feel your presence on a day-to-day basis in the middle of our ordinary, but we know we serve an extraordinary God that can move in mighty ways at any time in any place. So just an encouraging thought, and I appreciated Cody sharing that and appreciate how the Holy Spirit works. Because again, we've been trying to get the embers going on this yeah. conversation, and then the Lord shows up that way he through a Facebook up, post. So it's kind of cool. all up today. God used Facebook? Crazy. Have you been on Facebook? I do not think the Holy Spirit's there. Yeah. I also took a quiz <laughs> and found out that, I'm kidding. <laughs> what kind of ice cream are you? Vanilla. <laughs> Uh, it's got me tickled. In Matthew 17 and also uh, Mark and Luke record the Mount of Transfiguration too. And this just shows that Jesus is not opposed to mountaintop experience because he literally took three of his disciples up a mountain. Very often when I do disciple nows or youth camps, I will end the week or end the event with this passage of scripture because Jesus took a couple of his disciples up on the mountaintop and he was transfigured before their eyes. And they had this incredible experience where the glory of God shone through and Jesus' clothes were transformed before them and just this incredible, literal mountaintop experience. And Peter sounds like one of the kids at youth camp when he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Can't we just, you always get to the end of youth camp and there's always somebody that says, I wish we could just stay here another week. And the counselors are like, no, you don't. Let's go home. You kids stink. But Peter is that guy and he says, Lord, it's good for us to be up here. Can we just stay up here forever? on this mountaintop where the glory of God is shining and we've had this incredible encounter with God. And he says, well, let's build some shelters and we'll stay up here forever. And Jesus says, nope. And they go back down the mountain. And if you remember the story, when they get back down to the the bottom of the mountain, the other disciples are there bickering with each other and they've been trying to cast this demon out of this little boy and they can't do it. So they go down from the mountain and do the work of ministry. They settle an argument among the other disciples. They cast the demon out of this boy and they just kind of keep on live in life. And so Jesus is the one that brought them up to the mountain and he's the one that revealed the glory of God to them up there. But then when they said, can we just live up here? Jesus wouldn't let them. And he brought them back down the mountain. So the point, the illustration that I'm making here is that you can't stay up there forever. And if you're trying to just live, again, if you're trying to live from mountaintop to mountaintop, from peak to peak, then you're missing a lot of the ministry that's happening down at the base of the mountain. Embrace the ordinary, be willing to just gather and realize that the extraordinary is a diverse group of people coming together around a risen savior and the written word of God. And that's the extraordinary. It doesn't have to be monster trucks and motorcycles and giveaways. The extraordinary thing can be that we are one in Christ and we serve a risen savior and we have the written word of God to study together. So brothers and sisters in ministry, please be faithful where you're at. And we know God is doing some really cool things in and through you in your ministry. Some of them may look like radical, extraordinary firework moments that the Lord provides and praise God for those. They always encourage us. But if you are not in that season right now and you feel like you're just kind of keeping everything going in a normal and ordinary way, can I just say praise God for you and your faithfulness. Keep going. Again, we say this regularly in almost every conversation we have, this thought comes up, but 
success in ministry is not defined by numbers, fireworks, and how impressive you are to your peers. Success is defined by faithfulness. So stay faithful, continue to work hard and labor for the work that God has put you in. And we know that you are doing great things. Stoke those embers. Keep them going. Follow him on Twitter. He's at Bro Rusty Mott. When you're walking in the dead of night. Follow me on Twitter. At Jared Hollier. Follow us on Twitter. When you hope is at Our A Week Pod. We have a Facebook page and a website. <laughs> Got a w. Smith there. We have all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Just follow us. Track us down. We hope to hear We're from not you soon. Do that. do that again. We do appreciate. Yeah, leave it in there. We appreciate all of the comments and feedback, especially this week. We got a lot of feedback on last week's episode. We're not going to leave that. Yeah, We're not we going to leave. We're not going to leave me yeah, singing. Are. Keep the candle burning. It in was there. great. And we're leaving it. We're not leaving it. Uh, hey, remember, two weeks from this episode, we're going to be taking a personality test. Uh, episode fourteen will be our personality test episode, Boom. and so uh, take the Myers Briggs or the Enneagram or something like that. We've already got some people sending us their results, and so we're going to talk about those personality types on episode fourteen. So take those tests, send us the results, and we look forward to hearing uh, from all of you guys and gals listening about your messed up personalities. We're sure that you are just as strange as we are, and we look forward to having written evidence of that. No doubt. Hey, do you think we sound good today? I do. You know why we sound good? Ed. Is this Pat O? Is this is Pat O? Is this Pat O, man? I don't know, but he's the man with the plan and he's got it for show. <laughs> oh! And this is why we talk and not rap. Don't hate on my rap game. Cue the music. Let's get out of here. My rap game. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's it. And let, you, if I'm gonna sing, keep the candle burning. You've got to let me. Say let, drop, let me do. Say drop the mic. What is happening? I'm say getting drop choked the mic. Up. Drop the mic. Well, let me tell you.